G'day legends and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me is Shane. How are you Shane? Good, thank you Jared. Doing well mate. Just uh, just back from, from regional Victoria after spending uh, Christmas with uh, my partner's uh, family which was really good. Um, should uh, take the opportunity just to say to everyone who's watching, um, I hope you all had a, a lovely Christmas and um, good catch up with family, friends and, and whoever. Yep, same from me, just everyone. Hope you had a good Christmas and, uh, yeah, coming up with next weekend. Hope for the guys, guys over in Scotland, good Hogmanay and for us over here, good New Year's. But, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. We are talking about before the, we started, Shane, that, you know, it's like an all Aussies adventure episode tonight, just you and me, no Scotsman <laughs> on. It's been, been a bit of a rarity to have just a couple of Aussie accents going. So this one's for you, Don Burke and Russell Coit. All you Australian legends. Oh, and Alf Stewart. There you go. Look them up if you don't know. Yeah, if you get a chance, definitely um for those who, who might not be familiar with his work, give that um give Russell Coit a, a Google and uh, enjoy the quintessential Australian male. Happy days. So we'll uh, we'll crack into it. Oh, Vinny's in the comments. Is that Shane or the South African fast bowler at the Boxing Day test? <laughs> uh, here we go. Here we go. Bloody cricket talk on a Celtic. I thought, I, thought I had more of a beard than uh, than that fine gentleman's uh, moustache, but uh, I'll take that, Vinny. Thank you. Yeah. So, just if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Celtic Den Under podcast via your favourite podcast app. We're available on pretty much all of them. Um, also, if you're watching us on YouTube and you haven't hit that subscribe button, please just pause the video if you want. If you're not watching the live stream later on. Hit pause, hit subscribe, come back. We really appreciate it. We're trying. The goal is to get to a thousand subscribers as soon as possible. So, I think we're about two hundred and two hundred and thirty ish off that off that mark. If my math's good, I think my math's actually pretty bad. But yeah, we're two to three hundred off it. So if we can get there, early New Year, happy days. Now for the Celtic talk. Celtic four, St Johnson one. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a little. Let me tell you a story, Shane. This game kicked off Saturday, as you'd be aware. What is it, 11.30 p.m. just before midnight, our yep. time, on Christmas Day. So I'm sitting here, completely forgot the game was on. My my absolute idiot neighbours were having a party and they kept going around the park and setting fireworks off, so... All the dogs in the area were going absolutely berserk. My dog is a little bit older. He's almost 12. He's got a bit of anxiety because of his old age. He's going deaf in an ear, that sort of stuff. So all of a sudden I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go to bed. And bang, fireworks right above our house. He loses his absolute marbles. So where I am now, the TV behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, I was sitting on this chair behind me watching the game there with my, my Labrador sitting next to it with his bum sitting back, so he was watching the TV too. So I watched the Celtic game on Christmas morning with my dog. Yes, what a legend. <laughs> and when I celebrated one of the goals, he actually jumped up and was like, hmm, so, and made a grunt noise like that. So it was awesome. Great moments. But what was your th- your thoughts on the game overall, Shane, when you just in general? Yeah, well, I was, we were up sort of uh, finalising some things for uh, for Christmas Day. So uh, I was well and truly still awake and uh, ended up tuning in live 
uh, and watching the whole thing uh, as well. Uh, it wasn't due to fireworks, though. That's uh, that's a poor act by your neighbours. Uh, they've got to pull their heads in with that. Um, look, I they thought it was their excellent. Own dog off too, Shane. They set their own one off, which is even worse. <laughs> it's my dog off. Anyway, back to what you were saying. Oh, dear. Look, it was an excellent performance. Look, there was obviously, um, you know, the Livy game uh, prior to this, there was obviously a little bit of um, talk about the performance and, um, you know, changes that were coming, which uh, obviously Ange followed through on. And I thought um, that overall we were very good pretty much throughout the whole match. Um, I thought pretty much from the first whistle, everything was there. So intent, movement, uh, ball speed, just playing with that usual zip that we've come to know and love under Ange that was all back. And I really thought we were, we were just excellent across the park, to be honest. I, I didn't think we had anyone that were, that played poorly. I think, it, you know, second half maybe, maybe dropped off a little bit, but wasn't exactly poor by any stretch. Uh, significantly improved compared to the second half against Livingston. A little bit, Frustrated that they ended up scoring, um, but overall, uh, very pleased with that performance uh, and just what we needed coming into two pretty uh, pretty tricky fixtures, if I can put it that way. Exactly. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Like, I loved all the talk pre-game. How how Paul in the comments as well. Those tuning in, please just jump in the comments, discuss what we're talking about. We want to hear from you guys on it too. But what I was about to say, pre-game, all the discussion was – what formation are we playing? When the team was comes out and it's in numerical order, it kind of threw a few people for a six. So you had Hart, Taylor, Starfelt, Kyogo, Moy, Carter, Vickers, O'Reilly, Maeda, Hatade, McGregor, and Forrest. That was your starting lineup. And everyone's sitting there, are we playing three at the back? What's going on here? And it wasn't until about 10, 20 minutes before kickoff when people were watching the warm-ups and they say that Hatate was line, was defending, like warming up with the defenders that we kind of had some sort of peace of mind on it. But then it was still, is Atade going to play left back and Taylor at right back or Atade over at right back? Who knows? But so overall, we ended up with, yeah, Atade at right back, the rest as you'd assume. And I got, I had a funny thought. All I wrote on my notes, and I was like pretty out of it at this point, is... Sevco fans talk about they have the best right back in the league at um with Tavernier. Yeah, we've got three better than him. <laughs> you got Juranovic, you got Ralston, you've got Hatade, and then we've even got Johnston coming in, so possibly four better. <laughs> oh, I just had to write out Tav question mark fifth. That's what my note says right, right there. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny, though, at the end of the day. Like, I thought overall the back line worked really well. I think it was just a, a mo- like a moment little switch off for them to score. It wasn't anything major, but Angers actually said it in the past, the best time for us to score is straight after they've scored. Mm, so the exactly. fact that they wouldn't do it because you automatically just relax for half a second. So, yeah, to me it wasn't anything, like, unexpected, but – yeah, it's um their goal was pretty average though, defensively. But we switched off, we got it done, and on we, on we went. So yeah, we'll um we got the job done, and happy days. But yeah, Hatade at right back with two goals. 
looked like he'd been there all season. Like it actually reminded me of what we used to have last season when Juranovic would bomb forward more and actually join in the attacks a lot more than he has been doing this season. What do you think of Hatade's performance, Shane? Uh, he was um, the best player on the park for mine. Um, you know, to score two goals from right back is impressive enough, but his performance overall, just getting forward, um, you know, providing that um, impetus in attack, really uh, joining in exactly as you were saying. Um, he wasn't called on defensively too much, but when he was, he did his duty. And, you know, I thought his positioning was really good um, from a defensive side of things as well. I thought he was exceptional. I, like yourself, when I saw the team list come out, I thought, well, who's at right back? And, you know, I was having flashbacks to sort of um, a couple of years ago under Lennon when he played McGregor at right back. And I was sort of thinking, Charles, was it? Yeah. And I was thinking, hmm, I'm not sure it's going to be Calmack, but I just wonder who it's going to be. And um, I, I wasn't I wasn't familiar whether Hatate had played either left or right back before. Um previously anywhere during his club career, but um, he was exceptional. And um, yeah, I I couldn't speak highly enough of him. Definitely best player on the park for mine. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't. There's so many superlatives I could add to his performance, but he was fantastic. And look, I've probably been a little bit critical of him, to be honest, in, in one particular part. Um, and where maybe he's um look i don't think he's reached the same level um that maybe he has over the course earlier this season or even last season i'm not saying he's been poor by any stretch but i don't think he's maybe been at the same level and just remember when Calmack went out injured and we dropped O'Reilly into that deeper role hatate was the one who sort of moved a bit further up the pitch he was more of the actual highest or or the more attacking of the midfield three. And so maybe it just hasn't been there uh, in terms of his overall performance. Again, not poor, just not at the same level. He looked totally refreshed coming at it right back on the weekend. I was just the zip and that drive. Um, I thought he was excellent. You know what it was, Shane? It was that he had space. I think that was a big part of it. In the midfield, there's not much space for him because everyone knows what he's going to do. Get him out on that right back where he could bomb up and down and He's used to being – when he was defending, he was, you know, the way we invert our, our fullback. So if he ducked in, he was in his natural environment. But when he was ducking out wide and he was running up and down, he had the space to go and attack. So I think that was a big part of it. He's got a lot of good attributes that make him a really good fit for a fullback role. Um, so I, I don't think we'll see the last of him at right back. Um, but I'm not sure we'll see him – uh, in the next two fixtures at right back, if I can say it that way. Um, I disagree for the simple fact that I thought you made a good point until that last sentence there, Shane. <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. I think he'll be right back tonight against Hibbs in that game. Russ, he'll be at right back because Granovic isn't back yet. Rolston's still hurt. So who else is going to play right back? Yeah, against, no, you, you, you raise Sefco, a good point. <laughs> in Sefcoat, we might have Juranovic back. Johnson's now available as well. But if he plays up as well again, he might keep his spot there. So who knows? There's a couple of options. That's a really good point. I did think about that, and I I wasn't sure if Juranovic was back yet. I didn't think, because I think Juranovic, and we won't get into the, the 
Glasgow Derby talk just yet, but I, I expect Juranovic to start right back there if he's available. Now, I thought if he was back, it would be they wouldn't throw him in, that they might play him against Hibbs a little bit tonight. But if he's not back, then Ralston's not ready for tonight. It'll have to be Hatate. So you're right. Yeah, you're totally spot on. Yeah, Ange said in his presser that, you know, Juranovic isn't back for this game. So, yeah, that's the only reason. But I thought, were you saying, yeah, we will see him again now? I thought, oh, he's hedging his bets for tonight's game. Happy days. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's no. going to make my discussion about who lines up at Hibs very, a lot easier because that was my one change. So that's good. <laughs> there you go. Happy days. So just on the game overall, um, a couple of things with Kyogo. With his goal, he had both. He had two, didn't he? They both had yep. two, yeah. Yeah, he got a brace. Kyogo's ones, the adjustment on the crosses coming into him was a big part of him getting his goals. Like, what I'm sick of seeing, people whinging online, oh, Kyogo doesn't score enough goals. He's too wasteful. Yeah, I get it. But when he's like five foot, what is he, five foot seven, something like yep. that, and he's got two six-foot center backs, either side, one either side of him, and he's running in, and we're constantly putting crosses in above his head. To me, that is a massive no-no, and his biggest attribute is his pace. And we saw it on the weekend where he was able to duck in between the two center backs. The cross comes in low or at waist tight, and it looks like he's got no right to get to it. Like You think, oh, yeah, the, the defenders are going to get there, and then when – Next thing you know, the ball's in the uh, in the net, and you're like, "How the hell did Kerry get to it?" Then you watch the replay from a different angle. I was like, "Yeah, it was his run over, and it was the ball was at a good cross height where all he had to do was just run through, stick a foot out, and in it goes." So it was good to see him taking a couple of chances, but and that made me appreciate more when I saw the replays and saw where the ball was coming in. Made me appreciate more. Okay, he does all that running to get the rewards. It needs to be a better cross coming in more to suit him. And when you've got those big center backs like they had of St. Johnson, the ball, if you put in a low one or a medium one and it bounces or whatever, it's going to be bobbling around in the box. It's an easy clearance for him if it's in the air. So I thought he had a couple of good finishes as well. Yeah, I agree. And it was good to actually see him get that brace. I think he's come in for some unfair criticism. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of chatter about obviously how he should probably make way for for Jackamakis, which I don't agree with. I think Kyogo's still our best uh, striker up front uh, and the best option to lead the line. So uh, it was actually good to see him get on the score sheet. And you're right, his attributes are his ability to kind of not just play off the shoulder necessarily, but also to zip in to find that space, to get that little bit of a yard on the defenders and get to the ball first, right? And so if you're actually putting the ball up, he look, if he's five foot seven. Look, he's got me covered for height, which doesn't say a lot for me. But, um, you know, that's tough when you're coming up against your big centre halves who are, you know, six foot or five ten, right? He's he's very rarely going to win that battle. He's, the best thing that he can do is Harvard, right? So, um, yeah, no, I thought I thought we were much better in terms of the way we actually went forward and what we actually put into the box uh, and actually gave him the best chance to get on the end of it. I just laughed when you said five ten is a big centre back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's everyone above five six is big to me. Okay, so that's that's where I'm coming from. If you're above five six, you're tall compared to me. Fair enough. We 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 understand, Shane. Small person syndrome. Hundred percent. Small good. man syndrome. It's a real thing. I'm telling you. <laughs> Any other players we want to give a special mention to for the game? 
I've got one in my mind, but I think you might jump on it. How can we go without talking about our man from down under, Aaron Moy, the superstar? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I thought for the team, I reckon, for the season. Had that exactly in my notes. I thought that was his best performance in the Celtic shirt. Um, I thought he was exceptional. Um, you know, you, you mentioned it a couple of, maybe even a few months ago now, about, you know, the concern about him being more of someone who kind of recycles the ball um, and just sort of gets on it and knocks it around. Um, you know, and I, there's always a little bit of that concern. But, you know, I put in my comments, you know, when he's in this kind of form that he was against St. Johnston, it's like he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. He just he just looks like he's not quicker by any stretch. Uh, you know, his pace just doesn't drastically improve overnight, but he just looks so calm on the ball. He looks like he's got it's all the, the time in the That's world. That's That's quicker than the mind. And off the back of the World Cup, Shane, I'm just going to jump in there. So something that I wrote was you can tell the World Cup has done him good in terms of others have, a, have had a break. They're a little rusty. They're like a little off. He's just like kept the legs ticking over. He had his big break before he signed with us. He's ticked his legs over. He's played through the World Cup, got through to the round of, what was it, the round of 16 Australia got to, played there, he's come back, and he's still in a rhythm. And he's used to playing 90 minutes of football in that heat for the Socceroos. So coming back to Scotland has been good for him. Like I'll give credit where it's due. I had doubts about him at the start of this season for what you just said. Like I wasn't sure how he would fit into an Ange system. But, hey, I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah, and he, and he worked really well on the weekend. He linked up really well. He was finding those little pockets of space, and his passing was exceptional. It was everything that we've we've come to grow and love when we see him at national level and at his previous clubs. So I couldn't speak highly enough of him. Look, Hatate was definitely the man of the match, but he would have been a close second, I think. I think him and McGregor link up really well together. Because if he if he's out there with McGregor, it allows McGregor to push further forward. Because if Cal Mack goes for a run, Moy will hold. So there's two guys. One can go forward, one can hold, and they can just alternate it. So not only does it does he have the the runs and the legs going, but it also allows Cal Mack to play a bit more offensive as well as the defensive role that he's been playing for us. And it's two guys in a deep line position with a good range of passing. So yeah, I wouldn't. Let's just look at it this way. If he was in the starting lineup on the weekend in the Glasgow Derby, I wouldn't be upset about it in the form he's in at the moment. And if you asked me that a month ago or two months ago, I would have told you you were dreaming. Yep, I can totally agree with that. It'd be it'd be wrong of us to not talk about him. It's the Celtic down under. It's the two Australians on. We've made a Russell Coint reference. How remiss would it be if we didn't talk about our man Moy? Exactly, has to be done. Still, still not his biggest fan, but yeah, appreciate what he's doing for us. He's doing his job. He's playing well, so got to give credit where it's due. If I'm gonna slap it, give someone a slap for playing bad, I'm gonna give someone a pat on the back for doing well. So happy with that. Now, last thing we need to discuss: <laughs> Var into Turnbull's red card. Your thoughts? Uh, I'll touch on the VAR situation. Um, the farcical offside check for Hatate's goal. I mean, honestly, it took 
less than five seconds to look at that footage to know that he was not offside. No, I, I, I couldn't remember this properly. I think the linesman flagged for it and it went upstairs. Am I right that the linesman's flagged offside and then they yeah. overruled it? Yeah. That, I couldn't quite remember that or whether it was VAR initiated, but I think the linesman's flagged on it. Now, he was clearly onside and it should have just taken one quick look at the footage and said, no, he's onside. That's it. Maybe, maybe you know, giving the VAR person a little bit of an out, maybe they thought, wow, it can't be for that. Maybe it's further further back in the build-up or something. Look, I, I think it's just taking too long and, and um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a sec when I talk about the Turnbull situation, but I, I just couldn't believe, well, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, right? The linesman made a mistake. If anything, VAR has corrected a clear mistake. So if I can play devil's advocate for a second, it's probably done a good job here. Bookmark that. You won't hear me say that about VAR very often from this it's, point forward. It's done what it was brought in for. <laughs> <laughs> which which it did, right? Let's be honest. That was a howler, and VAR did correct that. It took way too long, but it did correct it. It was actually um, the first time this season, Shane, that a VAR thing has gone in our favour. Hey! But anyway, back to what you were saying. <laughs> the Turnbull red card. Look, I'll talk about the decision first. Look, I, I, I couldn't really understand the furor about it coming from people like... I'm sure he didn't mean to clock him in the face, chest, whatever, but you can't do that and not get sent, in my opinion. So I thought it was – initially, I, I couldn't tell what happened, and then when I saw the replay, I thought, oh, no, he's done. Um, so, I, look, I thought that was yes, a straight red. I, I had so no for me, on, being sent off. On the VAR stuff quickly, there was a quote in a post-match interview. I can't find who it was by, but it was by one of the St. Johnson players where they said – oh, it's good when things go to a VAR because with the multi-ball system and how quick Celtic play, we don't get much of a chance for a breather. So with that going to VAR to check the onside and all that sort of thing, it's good because it gives them a chance to get a breath. One of their players said that. So that that's a factor that we've got to play into, especially on the weekend at Ibrox. Now, definitely, the VAR decision... My concern on that is, same as you, Shane, like, at first I was like, okay, the two of them clattered each other, fine, play on, like that. And then I saw the replay and I'm like, okay, he's off. So I had no problem with the actual decision. It's a red card. Where they lost me was, what's the linesman call? It's his job to go, oh, that was a high foot because the referees behind him, he wasn't doing much. When... That Tory prick um, leader of them, Douglas Ross, was on the on the sideline going, red card, red card, red card, when I think it was Simonovic or something like that one time at Ibrox. We all took the piss out of him because of how overly excited he was that he was a linesman telling the ref to give someone a red card. But at the same time, that's what we should have seen on the weekend and we didn't. He didn't even flag it. He just let VAR look at it. So... The only reason I'm bringing that up is it's a duty of care. The, the referee's job is to show a duty of care to both teams. Mm. And normally we don't get that duty of care. And in this instance, St. Johnson didn't get the duty of care either. So right decision, right process with VAR looking at it, wrong step to get to that process with the linesman not making a decision in that situation because that's his job. 
Well, that's unfortunately what VARs led to in a way um, is that people have that fallback now where they don't feel the need to call it even. They're just like, oh, was it? No, I won't bother. I'll leave it. It works in reverse for the offsides. You know, a goal goes in, ref linesman thinks, no, no, I think that was offside. I'll wait for the play to finish. I'll flag it. And if I've got it wrong, that's okay. VAR's going to correct it. So it's being used as a fallback too much, right? Let's remember that the whole VAR is for the howler. It's where you've missed it. Now, you can argue that the Turnbull one is the howler, right? I think that's fair, you know. The linesman should have at least flagged for it to say, is a foul here, guys? Something's gone wrong. So you could argue that, yeah, it's probably called a second howler. But you've got to learn from that too. Part of the process is, yes, we caught it and we fixed it, but you've got to then improve on-field or make sure on-field's better so that it doesn't keep getting used like this, that you're kind of making that a bit better. Exactly. It's um, The yeah. VAR review shouldn't, shouldn't have to take, as you said, so long. Like it should be, okay, decisions made on-field, then, you know, the, they have a quick look up in the VAR bunker, quick look. Okay, the decision on the field was correct. Just in the earpiece down there, yep. Look, we have it on the A-League over here. Something happens, they show a replay and it says VAR check confirmed or incorrect and it comes up on the screen and then you know, okay, the referee is going to go change it now and then they'll run over the monitor and have a look. So it's it's mm. a lot quicker than what they have in Scotland at the moment. But I suppose it's early days. It's first season of it there. What are we in the fourth season of VAR or fifth season of it over here? I think it's uh, fifth. I think it's the fifth season. It'd be the fifth season, yeah. I believe. Um, we still have, still have howlers over here as well. Well, what I was going to comment on really quickly, if I can go back to sort of what I was mentioning before about the length of time, and this more relates to what's actually going to back up your point about the linesman and the ref as well, and it actually goes back to the Livy game. I'll, I'll be as quick as I can. Obviously, the disallowed Abada goal, you know, was he offside, was he interfering with play, so forth. So there's a couple of things about that. Um Put the decision aside for a sec. Let's just focus on VAR. So you've got a ref and a linesman who don't flag it. A ref, uh, the linesman doesn't flag it. The ref doesn't see anything wrong with it. So they're basically saying, yes, he's played the ball. We're, we're satisfied he's gone to play the ball. He's simply made a hash of the clearance. It's put a barter on side. Mm-hmm. So then, then VAR goes and c- clicks into process. Now, we've had the goal celebration. We've had a barter celebrating. We've had all the players mm-hmm. then finally go back onto their respective sides of the pitch to get ready for kickoff. And then you've still got the ref going in. Now, that's straight away too long. The The VAR check should be happening literally as soon as the goal goes in, if there's any conjecture about was there something here in this build-up, right? So that you lit by the time that the ref gets the call, you know, the, the earpiece down, he's going to check it. And it shouldn't be a case of, because I have this, not suspicion maybe, that's maybe too strong a word to use, but I have this feeling that maybe they're actually watching the footage back as they talk to the ref and and talking it through, saying, I think we've got something. Let me just replay it. Yeah, I think we've got something here. Yeah, we're just checking again. Yeah, now you've got to go to the video and check. Yeah. Way it too long. seems like they're trying to talk themselves into finding something to chalk, to go making the ref go have a look at it and chalk it off. Like, as you're saying, ideal mm. world, ball goes in the net, usually 30 seconds to a minute for the players to celebrate, get back on side, get the ball in the middle and be ready to go. That amount of time is when they should be looking at it real quickly, ref focusing on 
getting the players celebration, getting them putting his who scored in his book, all that sort of stuff, getting them back on side, ready to go. So by the time he gets to that point, they're at his ear saying, we've checked it, it's clear, or no, nah, it should be a goal kick. Go have a quick look at the monitor. Run over to the monitor. You'll have your two or three views you need to show him to justify what you're saying, to show what you're seeing. He sees it, bish, bash, bosh, done, next, disallowed, offside, let's go. And you set up, and you only really lost maybe a minute and a half to two minutes instead of four to five minutes every time. And yeah, then you don't exactly. end up with these like eight minutes of stoppage time in the second half of games. And you could argue the same thing for the Turnbull incident on the weekend because obviously, you know, the, the St. Johnson goalkeeper was down, injured, getting treated. You'd think they are probably talking to Kevin, I think it was Kevin Clancy at that point saying like, you know, we think you've missed something here. We think it's a red card offence, you know, go over to check the monitor or at least, you know, when the player's okay, go over and check the monitor as opposed to getting everything up to speed and then going, oh, actually, hang on a second, you've missed something. Like, it's just such a delay. And I think if you actually improve that area and get people to look at it straight away or look at it after the goal, you can then improve not implement, but you can then basically say if you're not seeing it in the 30 seconds to a minute that it takes to celebrate a goal and get back on side, on the side of the pitch ready for kickoff, that it probably isn't the howler that needs to be overturned in the first place. Correct. Now I'm going to bring up a comment here from Vinny. Vinny's saying, I think VAR should determine the offside rather than the on-field ref, speed the game up. The only issue with that I see, Vinny, is twofold. First thing is, Linesman position should be in line with the closest defender to the goals. So he should automatically know if I'm standing here looking straight across the line in front of me and someone and the goals are to my right and someone is here and the next defender is here, which is level with me, automatically it's offside. It's not hard to tell. That's when there's a bee's dick in there difference that that's when VAR comes into it. So I get it. Those ones are tough to tell. Now, the other thing is if you do take that away from refs and go, that's VAR's job now, then all your linesmen are there for is to adjudicate corners, make sure the guys are putting the ball in the right spot, and that's about it. I think Vinny raises a a point, though, um, because that that obviously was a query about offside. Now, when we've seen most of the other offsides go upstairs to VAR in the past, usually they've drawn the lines and they've said, no, that's offside. Yeah. Yeah, whereas this one, obviously, there was a discussion about do you see the Livy player as being impeded by a barter and therefore he's made the hash of the clearance he has or has he simply just, you know, botched the clearance? I fall in the latter category. I didn't think it was offside. Same here. Same here. It was onside. I can understand. I can understand, you know, how they maybe got there um, to a degree, but the process is just not good. Yeah, 100%. Paul Brannigan in the comments, Kyogo's early effort over the line or not, should linesmen be in line? Goal line technology is also needed. That's where it gets tough with the mm. goal line technology is Hawkeye. That's fine. You need that. And it's a it's a steady build to get to that level where every club's only got six cameras for it at the moment. So eventually you're going to have to build up so you'll get the, the cameras in the goal and you'll have goal line technology. Next season, if every team goes and buys another six cameras, then you have 12. The whole stadium's covered. The following season, another six. Suddenly, 
you're not going to get away with anything. Then you'll be able to have those lines across the field that we're talking about with grids and all that sort of stuff. So it'll work <laughs> out. But it's an ongoing investment where there's not a lot of money in Scottish football to get to that point. So I understand that. Unless Celtic would have turned around and go, oh, we earned 30 million from the Champions League this year. Here, here you go, league. Here's a here's a three million pound investment from us to make sure everyone has the same same standard of cameras at every ground. Unless we did something like that as an investment, then I, this is going to take a few years to happen. Yeah, and you, you unfortunately can't really use VAR in its current capacity for goal line really because of the angles and the cameras. It's just not possible really to say the ball yeah. was fully over the line. And unless it hits the back of the net, then I think you're pretty confident. And the issue with should the linesman be in line with the goal? Technically, he should, you'd think. But at the same time, if the last defender is at the six-yard box, that's where he's supposed to be in a line to see who's offside behind those guys in front of the um, the, the goalkeeper. Looking for passive offsides, guys running, running across in front of him, all that sort of stuff. So it's a bit of a tough one. But, you know, there's no perfect thing. I think we've talked about this way too long again. So we'll crack on to we'll try to smash through some of the next few topics. Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your protein shakes always come out lumpy and you look like an idiot using the thing. That's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a Blendjet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended protein shakes in just 20 seconds. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can make a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita at the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cable. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water and a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colours and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. So what are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code CELTIC12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code CELTIC12 to get 12% off your order and a free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Transfer rumour o'clock. Here we go. Tomoki Awada is set to join us from Yokohama F Marinos on loan for the rest of the season with an option to buy in the range of, I've seen reported both of these, that's what I'm saying, in the range of between £825,000 and a million pound. He can play both central defensive midfielder and centre-back. He's played as the right of a back three as well. He has played some right back, but his predominant positions that he's played in Japan at Marinos were defensive midfield and centre-back. Probably played half his games in each of those positions. He just won the J-League MVP last season as well. So he is a quality player. He's worked with Ange before. Um, I think it's a good pickup for us. We all know Ange loves multi-positional players. Him coming in, that's got to be the end of Itaguchi with us. I think he'll be on the playing goal in the other way. 
You got anything you want to add on that, Shane, before we roll into the next topic? No, it just sounds like an exciting signing. As you said, he's obviously worked with Ange before, so it looks like Ange brought him in to Yokohama just uh, in a couple of months prior to him, uh, you know, leaving and then coming on board at Celtic. So, um, no, really exciting prospect. And, you know, uh, anyone who's the MVP in the J-League, it's, it's a good league. So that he's a quality player. He's pretty young from memory. I think he's about 23. He's 25. 25, sorry. Okay, so a little bit older than I thought, but that's okay. Uh, still plenty of upside. I reckon it's a it's a good good signing, so looking forward to it. That rolls into our next one because we've been talking about we need a defensive midfield clear out. Like Itaguchi needs to go. Hopefully it's McCarthy. Well, it's been announced and reported today that Celtic have cancelled Oliver Abelgaard's season-long loan deal with Ruben, from Ruben Kazan, so he'll be heading off. Um, I was I was a big fan of him signing, and I, I hope for big things from him. And I'm kind of disappointed, not that we signed him, but that he didn't offer enough going forward. The way we play, we need a quality defensive mid, and he did that, and he gave us that tall defensive mid that I've wanted for ages. But... The way we play with how much ball, it's all good to be that guy screening the back, but he doesn't push forward. He didn't have the range of passing we needed. So that's why he wasn't getting games. And I think the writing was on the wall when Kalmack got hurt and um, uh, what's it called? Not Turnpool, O'Reilly ended up playing in that position. I think that was pretty much the writing was on the wall then. So it's disappointing, but it is what it is. If he leaves, and we're bringing in a water to play in that defensive midfield role, then happy days. Yeah, uh, totally the same as you. I had high hopes when he signed, uh, mainly because of the fact that he was that midfield stopper uh, and he was big-bodied as well. So, you know, in a sense, similar to uh, near Biton, um, or so I had hoped. Um, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. And as you said, um, you know, wasn't able to provide that impetus going forward that a player like Kelmack uh, or that range of passing like a, a Moy or O'Reilly and playing in that role would would provide. So, uh, yep, I think it's best for both parties if we uh, we bring that to a close, um, particularly with the uh, uh, new boy coming in from uh, from Japan. I have to mm-hmm. learn his name. What is it? Uh, Awada. There you go. Tomoki Awada. Tomoki Awada. There we go. So with Awada coming in, I think it makes sense. We've we've definitely got plenty of midfield stock. We're probably going to to have a couple more depart as well. Um, all the best to him going back to Ruben Kazan. Vinny, we got an answer, an update for you. What's happening with Cho? So rumours are floating around from both K-League Twitter sources that I've had a look at today and some guys who work for the local papers over there when you translate their tweets and everything, and I've seen it on a few in-the-know Celtic accounts as well, that Celtic have signed Korean striker Cho Gu-sung on a a four-and-a-half-year deal, and it's to be announced later this week. That's the latest that I'm seeing everywhere. Now, I hope it happens and I don't look like an idiot and this doesn't get clipped, but if it gets clipped, you love love yous. If it doesn't, happy days. <laughs> so um, bring him in. Great. Good signing. Um, yeah, he's that big, burly striker who actually, I think, is the perfect balance between 
the Kyogo pressing and move and the movement that we like. But he's also got the similar sort of build and size that Jack Amakis has. So he'll be a perfect fit for Andrew's system. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And if it is on four and a half years, it's another good bit of business. The club's been able to obviously get a few players on these uh, longer term deals. So, um, you know, there's you a genuine. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. 18 months oh. to two years in on Shane, and they've still got enough value in their contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally, totally spot on. And, you know, look, I was in, I didn't know much about him until I saw South Korea at the World Cup and was very impressed. Um, could have used him, uh, you know, a few weeks ago against Libby with all those balls flying into the box, you know, just have someone to nod him in, get him in there. No, look, I, I think it's another good signing, very promising. Um, you know, there's genuine excitement in, in that sort of part of the world at the moment, particularly from Japan and South Korean with players getting linked to Celtic and, and, and actually, you know, good to hear, genuinely excited to be linked to Celtic and wanting to come on board. You want to know the funny things, Shane? We can thank Brexit for that, not just Ange. Because when, when, you know, the UK left the EU, it suddenly made work permits a lot easier for every different country, especially the guys in Japan and Korea, because, you know, every player needs a work permit anyway. So the process was simplified. So it's a, that's part of it. But the last rumour that I've seen from about three or four places the people talking about this were all spot on, right? Bang on the money when it came to guys like Jota signing and Carter Vickers and all this. I hope these guys are getting fed some absolute BS because I don't want this, but we're playing Hibs tonight. It'll be announced after the game. Apparently we've signed Porteous and he'll come to us on the 1st of Jan for £620,000. I hope not. Because we've got way too many centre backs as it is, and the guy's a loose cannon. He's not the youngest centre back either. Like if we signed him two, three years ago, I would have been happier. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm not too fussed by this signing. I was a little bit surprised to see it come up. I remember there was some chatter about it a few weeks ago. It seemed to die down. Um, it sounds like we're playing for the Ryan Porteous Cup tonight. So um, happy days. Um, yeah, look, um, look, there's a few positives, of course. Um, you know, he's a Scottish player, been capped at national level, but overall, I'm not, I'm not too fast. I think our centre half pairing or centre back pairing, as you said, we've got plenty of centre backs, right? So right now, we've got our starting pair of Starfelt and CCV. You've got Jens and Welsh, and then you've got um, oh, who's the chap that I forget? Lowell. Oh, Kobayashi, of course. See, I've already forgotten our new boy who hasn't Raheem, started yet. You've got a rider who's coming in who can also play there. So there's six. You've got Boson Lawwell. You've got Dane Murray. If you want to go hmm. down the chart to our young guys, we've got eight centre backs. So realistically, what what is this signing? Is this signing if Portis is coming in? That means we're not keeping Jens full time and we're going to put Welsh out on loan. Even if we did that, we'd still have six centre backs. So, yeah, I mean, reading between the lines, you'd think that if Porteous is coming in, that that clearly one of them, at the very least, if not two, are on their way out. Maybe it's a little bit of cover in the sense that if Kobayashi takes a little bit of time uh, to get bedded in, uh, I don't know. Look, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, it sounds like the people who've put out these comments know their stuff, though, so... It'll be interesting if it does go ahead, but uh, you're like yourself. I think 
we're pretty well covered in that part of the pitch, so it's a little surprising. Unless we're going to a back three, Shane. Because well, Awad is played in the back right side of a back three. Kobayashi is a left centre back who's played in the back the left side of a back three. So if we go to a back three and we've got six centre backs, it makes sense. But at the same time, I don't see why we'd need to have, you know, six to eight centre backs. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. I'm I'm not really sure um what this um what this equates to in the long term but um look if it happens it happens um i don't know who he gets in ahead of though he's definitely not he doesn't work his way into the first team he's behind kobayashi where does he sit in the pecking order he almost comes in to play fourth or fifth fiddle is this a, a scott allen type signing sign him just so just so you know sevco can't sign him maybe but it doesn't doesn't really matter. I'd I'd like to think we wouldn't worry. We, we wouldn't so yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't be that concerned. I'd like to think we wouldn't be we like that either. We should just be focused on on us and us improving only. Yep. Oh well we'll have to watch this space in that one. But yeah. If it doesn't happen, I won't be upset, let's be honest. Now, Celtic versus Hibbs tonight. 7 a.m. kickoff for us tomorrow morning over here on the east coast of Australia. So what's that over there? Like a 8 p.m. Mm. Something like that kickoff. There you go. Happy days. So playing Hibs. What's your expected lineup going to be, Shane? And well, oh, score prediction. <laughs> See how eager I was. I jumped straight in. I was like, no, nah, I'm jumping in, straight in. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Two footed. Um, I well, since I made a complete hash up of the Hatate and uh, situation at right back before, not realizing Juranovic isn't back and Ralston's still injured, I'm going to say I, I almost think it's going to be the same starting starting lineup that we saw against St Johnston. So Taylor left back, Starfelt, CCV, Hatate, Moy, McGregor, O'Reilly, uh, Maeda, Kyogo. And Forrest, maybe Kyogo and Jackamakis. That's the only switch I can really see. But I think most of the other positions will be pretty, pretty much the same. Um, the only difference I would have, Shane, on mine is Maeda and Forrest out, Abada and Haksabanovic in, but more directness on the wings against them. That's it. The rest I'd keep. Hax is the one that I did think about and thought, well, if there's someone that could push himself in for a start, it's probably Hax Ivanovic. Um, I thought he was pretty good when he came on. Uh, he came on against St. Johnston, didn't he? I might be. Am I getting that wrong or was it Livingston where he yeah. came on? Uh, come on against it, yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually funny because he he's not the quickest player uh, Haksibanovic when you compare him to other players on the pitch, particularly like Maeda and Abada, who are direct and run. But, he, you know, his techers, you know, his technique and his skill with the ball, right? He's quality. And to ha- to be able to bring on someone who can kind of be that skillful later in the match is just as promising as bringing on someone like Maeda or Abada who can run at defenders as well. So, um, look, I think he could probably get a start, but I, I, I think Forrest and uh, Maeda will, will remain in place. I think Jamesy, just before we, we continue on, I thought he was very good against St. Johnston as well. I think he's found a new lease of life uh, recently and um, 
he looked excellent. So I'd like to think he'd keep his spot, but we'll see how we go. Look, it's a little bit of a tricky fixture, like going back over the results. They've held us to a couple of draws there recently. Um, and this What's isn't just during That's some extra stuff to add for you as well. <laughs> so how much did we beat Livy by when we played him last week? 2-1, uh, yep. What did Hibbs do on Sunday to Livy? Put four past them. Put four past them, and they've got the returning Kevin Nisbet up front. So that gives them some more firepower. Um, in a game like that, they had 27 shots, 11 on target. They had Celtic-esque stats here with 78% possession, 558 passes. The numbers that they had stats-wise is very comparable to the exact numbers we had against against Livy as well. I've done the check on it. Don't worry. It's pretty pretty bloody close. So um, overall, the only difference, though, with them and Livy is Livy had a guy sent off after 15 minutes, so maybe that was a factor in it. I think Livy also had three penalties that were saved, unless I'm mistaken. Um, wow. There are at least two that were saved because I know Marshall got man of the match with a with the, the site that I use as a perfect 10. And I thought, well, what, what's he done to earn that? Three penalty saves? Okay, that's a perfect uh, miss, 10. A missed penalty in the 85th minute, missed penalty in the 84th minute. <laughs> How the hell are you getting so many penalties in a game? Jeez. Retake, maybe? The back-to-back minutes too, yeah. yeah so, fair enough. yeah. Um, look, I, I, look, I definitely think we, even when – We've been on form and they maybe haven't been. They're still, you know, it's still been a little bit of a tricky fixture at Easter Road. Um, I'm thinking it might be the same, but uh, I think we've definitely got enough uh, to get up and win. And I'm thinking we'll put, uh, look, I think we'll get up. Uh, I'm going to say 3-1. I think we will concede, but uh, I, I think we'll get up 3-1. I'm just looking through Hibbs' squad here. And on their bench, I completely forgot they had Aiden McGeady. So, you know, there's there's some dangerous players in this squad. No Martin Boyle, though, because, you know, World Cup stuff, pre-World Cup happened to him from the Aussie perspective. But, yeah, I'm thinking, what do you say, 3-1 or 3-0? Yep. No, 3-1. Yeah, I'm thinking at their place, it's a bit of a smaller field. We have to take our chances. So, yeah, I think we'll win, but I'm thinking it'll either be 2-0 or a 3-1, like you're saying, Shane. I think the margin will be two goals. And then the key thing is getting through the game so we can get into the weekend healthy and ready to show everyone whose house it is in Glasgow. <laughs> so we'll roll over into that one then. Um, the Glasgow Derby, Monday. That's a doozy. What is it, 11 p.m. kickoff or something like that for us over here on a Monday night with work the next morning? Yeah, I think it's going to be my couch CSC instead of going out, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, but we'll uh, discuss this. So got an expected lineup on that one. I'm thinking the only real position in this game will be the only real question marks will be the, the wingers, the midfield, you're going to have Hatate in the squad. You're going to have Cal Mack. You're going to have O'Reilly. Kyogo, for me, I look at it and go, I'm waiting on him to just explode in a Glasgow derby. And if he gets another goal, to, another goal tonight, then that's got him in 
cherry ripe form, ready to go for the derby on the weekend. So I'm going to go with my score prediction before we even discuss this any further. 3 0 at Ibrox, Kyogo hat trick. Oh, I like it. I like it. But yeah, realistically, the positions we've got to discuss the centre back pairing set. It'll be staff out Carter Vickers, Taylor at left back, Hart and goal, midfield set. So it's where does Hatate play in this squad? Does he play at right back? Is Juranovic back in at right back and Hatate's in the midfield? Or is Hatate going to hold his position at right back and Moy plays in the midfield? That's question number one. Question number two is which wingers play? Does Jota come in? Does Haksabanovic come in? Does Abada come in? Is Maeda in? Which of those four guys are going to get those two positions? I think they're the question marks for us. Yep. I think you've hit the nail on the head from where I was too. It's exactly the same question marks I have. Um, to answer question one, and it's it's answering it with an if. Um, if Juranovic is back, um, he starts at right back and Hatate takes up his usual spot in midfield. Hatate's too good a player to leave out of that squad. And when you're playing at Ibrox, you know, they're going to they're going to come at us. You know, we're familiar with teams sitting off, letting us have the ball, trying to contain, put everyone behind the ball, play the low block, whatever you want to call it. We we're used to that. They won't do that, not at Ibrox. They'll come at us. And you need players who are going to be ready, but you need that that kind of buzz, particularly in midfield, in my opinion. And that's that kind of buzz that McGregor and Hatate both provide. Um, if Moy, like yourself, if Moy does remain there, I wouldn't be too upset. But I think when push comes to shove, having Hatate um, and that kind of electricity he provides in midfield next to McGregor with O'Reilly, um, I think is what we would need. Um, instead of Moy and his sort of technical ability, if you will, and, and range of passing. Um, so that's an if. It's an if Juranovic is back. Now, I would probably still go with Ralston at right back if he was ready instead of Hatate, just because I'd like to see him in midfield. Um, so either Juranovic or Ralston being ready would go to right back. What I don't see happening is I don't see Johnston getting thrown in for his first start at right back. Oh, you just going to the next thing I was going to say, Shane. Are we going to have any debutants? <laughs> is it going to be Johnston coming in if Ange wants to throw a curveball at him? A la Neil Lennon style. Ooh. Or, the, you know, Kobayashi, yeah, I think he's going to be a bit of a slow burn get, getting in. He's not going to be thrown into the mixer straight away in the derby. Um, Johnston, I could see. Say the big issue I always say with these games is Rangers tend to try to dominate the midfield. So if we have Hatade in there, then the right back will probably be Rolston. If he's coming back from injury or something, we might see Johnston later on in the game. Now, what you were saying about Moy, if Moy comes off the bench later on, that could actually be a doozy for us, a nice one, because I always say that I've been saying for the last few derbies that we need to be direct and aggressive at guys like Tavernier and Barisic as their wing backs. Now, I don't think Barisic is back for them. I can't remember. But if we've got a barter and Haxa running at them in the last 20 minutes with how direct they are, 
with Moy hitting those long diagonal balls over to those guys, and they're all fresh, those three guys coming in, oh, could could be quite nice. And Mahesh in the comments, JJ's not playing according to Ange. I thought he wasn't playing as Hibs. I may be wrong that he could be back for the weekend. If he doesn't, anyway, we'll be fine. So I think we've got enough there to beat him. So did you say your score prediction, Shane? No, I was just going to comment really quickly on the wingers. Um, for me, it's Jota and Abada. I mean, particularly if, if Barisic was back for them, Abada starts every day of the week, oh, yeah. like, you know, because he, he is in about five minutes. Exactly. He, he still has nightmares about him. He still has nightmares from when he was sort of, um, remember from Celtic Park last last year or earlier this year, I should say. <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, look, and I'd probably still go with Abada and Jota, to be honest. Um, uh, I think Abada in particular, you know, Barisic aside, he is looking on good form at the moment. He's just got that zip that we're that we're used to. Um, he just looks like he's he's dangerous. He was excellent against Aberdeen when he came on, and he continued that form. So I would definitely give a barter a go. Jota's probably the one of the the front three at the moment who maybe in the past couple of weeks hasn't been at his usual standard um, and has been below par. But you don't need to give him. A second opportunity to uh, to fix that, and uh, I think if he was given that chance to start against them, that he would uh, he would show everyone the quality that that he possesses. The thing with Jota Shane is, last season when he first came in, it took him four, five, six games to get up to speed and get into a rhythm, and then he got hurt, and then it took him the same to get into his rhythm again when he came back second half of the season, and then the start of this season after the world's longest holiday. He came back and it took him same again five six games to get into a rhythm and start to hit top form. So I think that's a now that it's happened three times. I think that's a trait of his that when he comes in after a break, he needs a run of games to get up to speed. So how many have we played now since we come back? Four games, three games four. so far, three or four. Yep. So by if he plays against Hibs and then he plays in a week and there's game number five or six. He should be hitting the ground running, starting to get back into a rhythm again. So fingers crossed that he sticks true to form there. But yeah, he's been he's one that I'd love to see get out there and just absolutely rip it up as well on the weekend. And, and he could, and he'll be a uh, you know if he starts, he'll be opposed to Tavernier more than likely uh, as per last time. So you know you were saying before you really want to get at the fullbacks, you really want to to go at them. Well, having Jota uh, up front. Um, you know, on the form that we know that he can, um, you know, provide. Jeez, it's, it's an exciting prospect to really, um, to really pin them back. Last couple of uh, silly questions about the game. So, we're going to have a. Um, I've done my score prediction. I think you did yours. If I my memory's right, I'm just reading. Uh, this. I'll, I'll no, step in quick. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll similar to the Hibs game, I think 3-1. Not sure it would be a Kyogo hat-trick, but uh, I think 3-1. Come on, Kyogo. I want to see it light up my phone three times on, on Saturday <laughs> night. So one of our Facebook group admins, Willie, top bloke. Hope you're doing well over, over across the ditch there, mate. He's um, sent through a question about this game in particular. 
In what way do you predict VAR will give Sevco 1690 an unfair advantage over us on the second? <laughs> there you go, Shane. We talked about VAR for ages early on. Here's your chance. <laughs> give Willie a prediction. It'll happen. Like that's part one. It Something will happen. Um Something will happen around the 20, 24th, 25th minute. I don't know what. I feel like trying to pinpoint the events, uh, you know, is is impossible. But I'm like you. Something's going to happen. It'll be early on, I think, too. It's going to be tone setting. Um, There'll be a yeah. crunching tackle or something that won't be looked at and then we'll have some sort of shoulder-to-shoulder tackle where a guy goes down grabbing his leg and, you know, they'll be baying for blood and, trying to make the ref red card one of our guys or something like that. And then it'll end up being a, okay, let's spend the next, you know, three, four minutes reviewing it from every angle, looking for anything we could possibly use here. That, or it'll be every time we score excessive offside breaks for um, offside checks. So, you know, they can get a breather. Be those sort of things. Now I saw a tweet and I had to say this as well, because it was kind of, Funny because it seemed I love their their picture. It's like some pig man with going like this. Could Celtic ask UEFA for an observer for the Glasgow Derby? I drove the refereeing decision of beaten and the continuous interruptions <laughs> to play to allow the current buns a breather. VAR is the obvious tool for both purposes. We need to have an observer in the VAR room as well. Are we starting to sound as paranoid as their mob or what? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I, I trying to trying to start that stuff's a little bit of a little bit of a dangerous game in terms of um, you know, it's going to make it harder for us to take the high ground a little bit on this if we start pulling these kind of uh, kind of stunts and stuff like that. Look, I, I think there's no doubt the stats will prove that we've had a very bad run. The stats will prove that they've had a pretty good run, but. Um, Look, I think the whole calling for an observer thing, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. It's not something I, I think we'd we'd bother doing, to be honest. For me, I look at this and go, I'm seeing these sort of comments coming up more and more, and I'm like, I get why, the, why people are saying it because they don't trust the people in power here. I get it, 100% get it. But at the end of the day, if we're calling for all this sort of stuff, then that just shows that we're going into the game with doubts in our mind. I know we have, in my opinion, we have more than enough quality in the squad and we have the best manager in the chair going into Mm. this sort of environment for this situation to go out and do what Jock Steen used to say and don't leave it in the hands of the referees. Go out and outscore them and, you know, Get a, like he said, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like, don't leave it in the hands of the refs. So if we, instead of trying to win 1-0, the Ange system is let's go out there and win 3 or 4-0 or let's score 3 or 4 goals. So even if the refs try and do dodgy stuff, doesn't matter. We've already won the game anyway. And then we've got those three points in the bag. Then we can take the tape and go to the CAS or whatever, Court of Arbitration for Sport, and actually get a proper investigation done rather than having an observer come in and be like, oh, what are you doing here? What are you doing there? As a one-off. 
What about every other game? That's not going to fix the problem in every other game. So that's my thoughts on it. I'd rather go out there, back our players, back our manager, smash them, and then deal with the consequences at a higher level later. Yeah, spot on. Exactly the same. It's it's exactly how I feel. I think you can pass comment on it and and you know look at it and go, oh, you know something's going to happen, which we obviously just talked about before. But um, it's not something that we should focus on and say, well, this is going to be the be all and end all. It, it's not. We have everything we need to go there and to play them off the park, which I think will you know we'll get the result that we need. Um, and like you said. Let's just not worry about that. Um, let's do what we need to do to get the result. Yep. So last funny one for you, Shano. I have to say it. Guess time. Give me a number. How many times during the game are we going to see coins, lighters, or bottles of buckfast thrown at our players from the crowd when going to take a corner? Or in some when some incident happens during the game that goes to VAR, how many? Less than twenty or or more? Uh, well, I said three one, and uh, I think we're going to score relatively early. So on that prediction, I'm going to say more than twenty. Yeah, depends how many corners we get. Because every time we get corners, there's coins and shit thrown at our guys. So you know, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking probably if we get the goals early, as you're saying, Shane, yeah, it'll be at more than 20. If the goals come around halftime or just after halftime, then we'll probably just under, but just under, maybe like 18 or 19. But will <laughs> anything be done about it and said about it? No. Good fun. <laughs> All right. So before we uh, end the pod here, a couple of things. On behalf of the team, the Soak Down Under podcast, I just want to thank everyone who has tuned in and watched us on YouTube, has subscribed to the YouTube channel, has subscribed to our podcast channel, has listened to an episode of the podcast, has liked our Instagram, our Facebook page, follows us on Twitter, any of the social media following, and just helps make this Celtic Down Under podcast and community a worthwhile thing for everyone involved. Really appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for that. Hope you all had a great Christmas. Hope you all have a fantastic New Year's slash Hogmany. And uh, let's get six points on the weekend and get it right up them. Completely agree. Well, well said. Yeah, I'm just trying to find my final thought that I wrote down. But Shane, if you want to go your final thought first, happy days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Normally, John uh, takes care of the music stuff. John, who's a little bit under the weather, so shout out, John. Uh, you're probably watching or tuning in, so I hope you're feeling better soon, mate. Usually, John takes care of the um, of the uh, music stuff or music side of things. I'm going to chip in this week. I'm going to steal a little bit of thunder. So we're obviously part of the uh, the Axom uh, charity weekender, and as part of that was the uh, release of the single from The Wakes, The Glory and the Dream, which... Uh, been in my head for a little bit now um but i wasn't familiar with the the work of the wakes um prior to that charity single personally so i've sort of spent a little bit of the past week um listening to their back catalog and um 
so far really enjoying it. Um, really, really digging the stuff that they've put out. So I just wanted to shout out, particularly to those who who tune in that might not be familiar with The Wakes, um, really good band, really good mixture of sort of, I guess what you call folk rock, if you will, in a way, but with a lot of uh, Irish sort of musical tinge to it. Um, give them a listen. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it as much as I am. So, yeah, give The Wakes a go. Happy days. And before I do more, I just want to bring this one up. So if you're in the Western Sydney area, get out to the Penrith Gales on Sunday, I'm oh, sorry, on Monday, 11 p.m. Go see the Western Sydney Celtic Supporters Club out there and Paul. Good bunch of guys out there. So let's give them a shout out quickly. If just for you guys, my final thought is if you're in Melbourne and you want to go see, go to CSC to watch any games, go to Melbourne number one CSC and at the turf bar. That's where I'll be going if I'm out and about now. It's uh they're trying to build that CSC back up. So give them a shout out there. You can find them on um on Facebook as well. They've got a group that's only got like twenty something people because they're just starting to regrow that. But yeah, if you're in Melbourne, that's that's an up and coming CSC. I used to go to back in the nineties and early two thousand, then it lost its home when the Celtic Club got knocked down. So yeah, they're trying to build that back up. So get involved with everyone in Melbourne as well. Other than that, six points in the bag, guys. Hail, hail. Let's get it done. Hail, hail.